Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Well, let's go ahead and uh, go to part five. Um, First Peter. Uh, we're going to be starting on uh, chapter three. Uh, some of us who are joining us for the first time here, uh, we are, uh, we have been uh, starting, started this series in First Peter, and. The thing about First Peter is that it really is a, a timely book for us because this was written during a time when there's a lot of persecution, uh, there were a lot of difficulties, uh, hardships that we're going to be facing, tragedies, things that we don't even know is going to hit you really hard. And the question is, do you genuinely believe what you believe? And is your faith solid enough that it's purified by gold, um, purified as gold? And as silver, and it could come out as a precious metal. And so, chapter one and chapter two, uh, we talked a lot about just the setting of trials and why that's significant in our lives. And then we talked about um, just our identity, who we are, and that's one of the ways in which we can really be able to go through the things that we go through because we have to remind ourselves that we're a holy nation, people belonging to God, people called according to his purpose. And with that in mind, whatever we face in our lives, we can go through. And so we come to uh, chapter three, and I want to just uh, talk about this uh, important topic because it's not only for those of you in this room who are married. I think it's very important for us to talk about, but I think also for many of you who are hoping to get married and this will help you to prepare. And also, I, I feel like in this topic, there's a lot of like junk or how should I, baggage that comes with this passage. Because I think it's a very misunderstood passage. And it has been used in very negative ways towards women. And so I want to make sure that all of us understand the context of it. And what it's preaching and what it's not. And so that any false ideas that we have, we can kind of renew that with the word of God. But also those things that some of us, we have been shaped more by the world values rather than the Bible. I'm praying that it will at least be catalytic and for you to think through and say, where did I hold? How do I hold this view? Where did I get this from? If it's from Disney, I don't know what else you watch that helped you to grow up in this idea of what a man or a woman should be or what should they do. Uh, I hope that it will challenge us to kind of rethink about this and say, what does the Bible have to say? So I'm going to try to do my best to address those issues. So I wanted to start off, and I, you know, as I think about my own life, there are so many things that I just accepted as normal or the norm without really giving it much thought because all I know when I was growing up was just what I saw in my family. So when I looked at my parents and their marriage, and their relationship. I just thought that that was what it was supposed to be. Uh, You will notice some of you who come from very good homes. A lot of times, that's all you know until you come to college and you're talking with some of your life group members or maybe just some of your friends and you realize, wait a minute, they didn't grow up the way I did. Their family life is more messier than I've ever imagined. And so you realize no matter where you're from, your background, it really does shape how you view marriage, how you view relationships, how you view the opposite gender, some of the biases, some of the different ideas, worldviews that we have 
they're all shaped by not only the environment that we're from, but the influences around the world, the media, and the message that the world is trying to preach to us that I believe more and more is going further away from what we see in Scripture. And as I thought about this for myself personally, I realized a lot of my views on men's roles, women's roles, uh, they were affected from my background, which is more Korean-American. And I, I would definitely say my parents for, are from more of a traditional Korean kind of upbringing because they lived there most of their lives. But one of the unique things about my parents is they're very progressive. They're very open to new things. So I realized that even amongst my friends, my parents were not the normal, typical parents. I think maybe I just scared them in eighth grade when I was doing some bad things. They said, we're going to lose our son. So they just kind of decided to not be that controlling tiger mom or tiger dad. Some of you grew up in that kind of environment. And so there's different issues that deal with that. But all I can say is when I think about my views on what women and men are supposed to be doing, and even in this marriage relationship, a lot of it was shaped by what I saw in my parents and also in that culture that sometimes perpetuates a lot of the things that we want to address uh, this morning. And those of you who are keeping up with the news, you know that for many of us, our views have been very distorted. I, let me first address some of you who grew up in this kind of feminist, very kind of like radical uh, kind of idea. And let me just say, I believe the greatest feminist was Jesus Christ. I know that might be an oxymoronic statement, but I'm going to tell you right now, if there's anyone who was pro-women, that was Jesus. You just look at scripture. But I'm talking about the kind of the movement that I feel like is now trying to blend everything together. And it's so radical that guys, now they're trying to feminize uh, men. And I'm not saying that we got to be like brutes either. But there are certain things that we, we are made differently. Uh, we're equal in God's sight, but there are differences. And I think they're trying to get rid of all that and just keep everything gender neutral. And I don't know if that's the best thing either, because when you look at sciences, the science proves that we are different, just our genetic makeup. And that's how God designed it. Some of us are from the other end where the way you view women and treat women are like they're just objects. And it just shows in the way you interact. And some of you who are single, the way you interact with some of the female uh, sisters in our church and the way you kind of handle certain situations, that dictates a lot of what's going to happen when you get married. That's why, ladies, if you're going to come to our relationship seminar, I'll give you a little preview, one little hint. is house, watch how they treat their sister and their mom. That'll give you a glimpse of how they will treat you. And so, and I, I say this, you know, to not only my shame, but I realized a lot of the things that I took for granted or I kind of held a certain view, it kind of carried over until God is, he's still working on my heart and my mind. And so, as you know, the last several years, the whole Me Too movement has been more of awakening for just these types of issues that have been underlining a lot of the relationships and a lot of the systemic issues within our society. And it's not just in the States, but it's just all over the world. Those of you who might not know, uh, Larry Nasser, he was a U.S. Olympic gym, gymnast, uh, gymnastics doctor, and for many years he was sexually abusing all these 
young gymnasts who are entering into and wanting to get into the Olympic uh, uh, gymnastics for the United States of America. And it just took one brave, I mean, there were many other brave women along the way, but no one believed them. But it just took one woman who was armed with law because she was a lawyer and she was able to bring it to the surface. And then many of these gymnasts, the famous ones that won all these gold medals, began to speak out as well. And as you, many of you know, that he is now uh, in prison, uh, serving life, probably never, never will be able to get parole. Another one that many of you are familiar with, and just recently if you've been keeping up with the news earlier this week, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape and sexual assault. And as you know the whole story, hopefully, if you don't know, you could Google it and read up. I don't have time to talk about it, and I don't want to just dwell on this particular issue. But as you know, a lot of the things that goes on with power, especially with wealth, and a lot of these things, and some people will argue from the other side, well, it was these women who wanted to be famous. They wanted to do all these things. But I don't think they wanted to be raped. So where whatever view you have, I think if you really understand the image of God, Imago Dei, that we are made in the image of God, no person should go through some of the things that they face. Interesting enough that the Me Too movement picked up so much speed that there were women who brought down these powerful men and brought justice. And those of you who might not know, this past year, the Time Magazine Person of the Year, and I think we have a picture of it here, were all these silence breakers who actually brought forth uh, just this whole issue of sexual assault and rape uh, in our culture. And I'm sharing all this, and I, I know that some of you are sitting there like, that, that's not me. That will never be me. And I will say that you are in grave danger if that's your view. Because it is you. It is me. It's all of us. That's the wickedness of our heart. Some of us, we feel like we're so good because we're not going to do that kind of stuff. But if you're given the right moment, the right opportunity, the right circumstances, the right situation, there are a lot of things that we said that we will never do, but we have done. And that's why I think part of humility is to realize that you are depraved. You are sinful more than you will ever know. But by the grace of God, he has protected us. He has helped us. And I think when you look at the history of the church, we're not innocent at all. In fact, there have been a lot of bad teaching, as I mentioned, as well as culturally insensitive things that have put women in bad situations. I think particularly in Asian countries, right here in Hong Kong, a lot of women still have a lower status the way that women are viewed. And I think it's kind of a wake-up call, especially in the church, because once again, if you've been keeping up with the news, just recently, uh, the largest, one of the largest denominations in the United States, and if not the world, the Baptist denomination, they, have to f they had to face their own reckoning. When they fired Paige Patterson, those of you who might know who he is, he was the Southwest Theological, Baptist Theological Seminary President. Since ever since 2003. But what happened was that it's been alleged, it hasn't been proven, but it's alleged, and there's more and more evidences that are coming out. It has been alleged that he counseled a female student who 
shared with him that she was raped by one of the seminary students. But he counseled her to say, don't bring it up. And so no wonder all these women were so upset. Because oftentimes silence is the thing that's perpetuating this. He also had a history of remarks about women that were very sexist by nature. And so with all these recorded evidences, people are saying there's no way that he could continue to be the president of a theology school, a theological school that's going to train up future pastors and future leaders. So there was a vote and he was asked to step down. Now, why am I sharing all this? I'm sharing it to help you to understand that we have a problem. Not only in this world, but we have a problem in the church. And until some of these things are addressed, and until some of us really begin to have more of a biblical view on some of these different issues, we're going to continue to not be the salt and light that God wants us to be. we got to be a voice that's different from what the world says. What always upsets me is when the world gets it right and the church doesn't. Because if we claim to have the truth, then according to how that truth we see in Scripture, that's how we should ought to live, how we ought to live. And so as we go through First Peter, uh, I'm going to talk about this passage that has been misused, misinterpreted, and caused a lot of pain for people. And hopefully we can regain a biblical perspective of marriage as well as how we can grow in our relationship with members of the opposite gender. So once again, even though you are not married and this topic is about marriage, I pray that you will at least still learn something because you will hopefully one day be married. And if you can learn this earlier before you get married, it's going to help you and your future spouse for the long run. So let me give us the one thing. And the one thing is simply this, to love from our heart, we have to do our part. Come on. Everyone say that. Will you say that together? To love from our heart, we have to do our part. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them what the one thing is. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 through 4. And we're going to start off with this. And I think it's important to kind of like take it by chunks. Um, I'll just put my cards down ahead of time. I don't really have points, like the two points I normally have. I was gonna, I was gonna break it up, and I could have, but I realized it, it's more of a stream of thought that Peter was writing. So instead of trying to dichotomize or even try to separate it, I feel like it's all mixed together. So I, I decided not to put these two points and just kind of talk about this theme of just loving from the heart that comes through the grace of God. We can't love on our own, but it has to be the grace of God. But in order for us to actually love, we have to do our part. Because we can't just sit there and not do anything. And so as we do our part, what happens is it helps us to begin to love more from our heart. And as you love more from your heart, you're going to want to do more of your part. So that we can change the mindset and the things that we see around us. So let me go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. And we'll pause there. I'll make some comments regarding that. And then we'll read verse 5 through 6. And then we're going to close out with verse 7, which all the women will rejoice and be very happy with. So let's go ahead and I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, chapter 3, 1 Peter, verse 1. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, 
they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, um, very precious. Let's just pause here already. You could tell this was a hard message to prepare because I'm going to be talking about things that, man, if you hated me already, you're going to hate me even more. Or if you hated me, you're like, go pastor. I like you now. All right. So let me try to explain this passage as best as I can. The apostle Peter, after addressing the issue of Submitting to authority, because he talked about that in chapter 2. The different human institution, regardless of how unjust they are. Regardless of what kind of way they're governing or the things that they're doing. What he was arguing for is that when we submit to those things, we're actually submitting to God. Because God is the one who established these institutions. And so now... In chapter 3, he's continuing in that thought as he's talking about another very important human institution, which is marriage and the family. So he talks about this relationship. That's why you will notice the first word is what? Everyone say it. Come on. Likewise or therefore. It's a connecting word. And when he says likewise, it's connecting everything that he was saying earlier at the end of chapter 2. And then, then he goes into this whole idea of submission between a husband and a wife. Now, as we get started on this topic, one thing that will help us understand Peter's exhortations is to know the context of the specific time and what kind of view that people had of women during this time. Uh, one, of the, one of the amazing things I, I always um, have... I would definitely say just whenever I have a conversation with pre-Christians, those who are not believers in Jesus Christ, I would say at least once in that conversation, oftentimes what comes up is that how they cannot believe, not only in the Bible, but they can't believe some of the things that the Christians or Christianity has endorsed. And so it really depends on what it is. So I ask them, can you be specific? Because once again, a lot of them will use passages like this and say, if you think about this being sub subject to a man and all the things that probably they went through, and sometimes they will be honest and share that they grew up in a, with an alcoholic father who beat up on their moms constantly. Like, I, I would be the same way as well. If you've gone through that much pain, that you see your mom crying in her bedroom every single night, like you will start growing a hatred for God's. And so, like, for me, I always say, well, a lot of times we are shaped by what we experience. So I always tell them what specific things are in the scriptures that you have a hard time with. So I know that there's some of us in this room, as you're reading this passage, that there are going to be a lot of things that will be like yellow flags. So before you raise up your, well, you know what? Raise your yellow flag. I don't mind you raising your yellow flag. In fact, that's encouraging to me because that shows me you're thinking. So raise your yellow flag. But before you get really worked up, give me an opportunity to try to explain as best as I can with what the Word of God says. And hopefully as you begin to pray, God will continue to speak to you in different ways 
regarding this passage. So I want to make this clear. Before we could talk about this section, it is vital that we understand the times and the situation in which this letter was written because that determines a lot of the language and a lot of the different things that were going on. And hopefully throughout history, as you, some of you are studiers of history, you will know, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus Christ, I believe, is the greatest feminist. He was pro-women more than any other person that you will see. So watch what it says here. The, let me go ahead and give us three things just to remember when we talk about a topic like this. First of all, there was a negative view of women during this time, and I think even today. You have to establish that and acknowledge that, that there was a negative view of women. Now, those of you who studied philosophy, you'll know that Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, one of the views that he put out, and in fact, it just was just accepted, was that women were inferior in every single aspect when it came to comparison to men. Every single aspect. The only area that they were not inferior that he looked upon as equal was sexually. So now think about that. If you think that the opposite gender, this female gender, is inferior to the male gender except for sex, now that makes sense. That in every other areas where women were trying to move ahead in life or try to live a, a decent life, they will be crushed. But when it comes to sex, they were exploited because we're equals in that way. And what it do, did was that it fueled this idea that women really didn't have much to offer except for sexual pleasure. This is Aristotle. You do, you do your homework and figure it out. This is where Christianity turned the freaking world. Can I say that? This is where Christianity turned the freaking world upside down. Because when the world said back in this time and even today that women have no value, you're second-class citizens. They were equal to slaves during that time. You could even bring into court a woman's testimony. They needed two testimonies. Some of you are like, how could that happen? Go to the Middle East and you'll realize that some of those laws are still there. Right now, in the 21st century. So this isn't something that's like way in the Bible times. It's right now in some of these places around the world. This is what the world said about women. But the reason why I said Christianity to turn the world upside down was because it says that every single one of us, whether you are male or female, whether you are Jew or Gentile, it did not matter. We were all one in Christ. That we were literally made in the image of God and inherently, therefore, we have value. The social structures might say something else, but we have value because of who God is and what he has spoken to us about. Let me, uh, let me use the other mic. Okay, can you okay, you can hear me? Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Let me read it from the message translation. You read the bold type, the, the yellow. It says this in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. 
This flipped the world upside down. This is the reason why there was persecution. Part of it. This was the reason why people could not understand Christians during this time. Because they just would not accept the norm. They were disruptors. That's how radical Christianity should be. As soon as Christianity becomes very like fitted into the norm of the society, that's when we lose its power. If you don't believe me, look at history. Constantine, when he said Christianity is the land of the religion of this land, and Christianity just went down. It's only during persecution when there's opposition where the purity of the gospel message stands true. That's why some of you who are serious, looking for an adventure, something to give your life to and die for, I would say there's nothing greater. Because if you want to be a disruptor, you've always been rebellious all most of your life. Christianity is it. It literally disrupted society and the norms during that time. All women were second class. But here are these Christians who are saying that women are equal. Another thing you need to understand so you can understand this text is that the wife was to submit completely to their husband. Now, with this negative view of women during this time, it was the norm for women to completely submit themselves to the husband. Like literally, they cannot have any opinions, any of their own personal views. Like you just simply do what the husband tells you to do. You're, you're a robot. This continued to what? Fuel the negative treatment of women. Wives were not given the respect and honor that they deserved. But once again, Christianity, man, Christianity is messed up, man. They, they, Christians just love messing things up. They changed this view. And how the relationship between a husband and a wife is supposed to be lived out. The important thing you need to understand is that the husband, the wife is not just supposed to submit to her husband, but the husband was supposed to submit to the wife as unto the Lord. But where the difference is, is that there are different roles. And that's where we begin to have unity, complementary ideas. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Read the yellow with me. It says this, and further, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can we just pause here? He says, because you have a new master, that's Jesus Christ. Whether you are the wife or you are the husband, both of you are supposed to submit yourself unto God. This is the part that we misread or we we forget. Or a lot of these insecure men forget about. When they're talking about the next some verses. That we're both supposed to submit to one another. Because we're submitted under Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. That changed the whole world perspective during this time. For wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So that means simply you submit to your husband. Not just like a token. Oh he's my husband. So I just, but believing that God has placed him in your life. To be the leader of the home. That you submit to him. Now I'm going to talk about submission. What that means. What it doesn't mean. A little later. But this is pretty much in anything of life. That has organization. 
is that someone has to make at least the ultimate call. You can discuss, you can talk together, you learn from each other, you have equal value. But the men is, are supposed to lead the home. That's why in many ways, if you look at different society, and I'm speaking to some of you who didn't, who grew up without a father, who grew up with a father who's absent emotionally, physically, spiritually, there's things that come about of that ramification. And so it says what? For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. This is amazing. He starts using this parallel that as Christ is head over the church, so in the same way husband is supposed to be the head over. And how did Christ, did he like say, submit to me, church? No, in the next verse, what does it say? He says, as a church submits to Christ, so wives you should submit to your husbands in everything. And it says, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave his life for her. I always tell people the husbands have the harder job. Like we're going to die for you. You just have to submit to us, but you just have to die. That's what we got to do. How did Jesus love the church? He gave his life sacrificially, unconditionally. So in many ways, even though it says here, wives submit to your husband because it's more of a role aspect, equal value, but a role aspect. But the key thing you have to understand is that the husbands, you got to be like Jesus. All of us who are husbands here or future husbands to be, you got to become more like Jesus. Now, this was a completely foreign concept in the Greco-Roman world. Because as the husband loves his wife. Just think about this. As a Christian, as a husband supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church, then the wife will be willing to respect him, submit to him, and follow the husband. Now I'm going to be careful. I'm going to tread this carefully. Whenever I do premarital counseling, or even marital counseling afterwards, or even just relationship-wise, one of the things I come to the conclusion is this. Whenever the women, the women, the wife, or whoever it may be, they have a hard time respecting their husband, it's because they just don't feel love from their husband. And because the wife is not respecting him, he doesn't want to what? Love her. This is what we call the endless cycle. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? So because the wife is not respecting the husband because he feels disrespected, he doesn't want to love her. And so because the wife is not feeling this love, she's going to be like, you know, I'm not going to respect you. And the cycle goes. And this is what Paul is trying, Peter is trying to address. Now, can I just pause here and make a comment on this whole submission? I want you to know that Peter is not saying that we should endure all kinds of evil and just submit under that. Because ultimately you're submitted to Christ. So if there are things that your husband or your future husband is doing that completely is against the will of God, then you have every single right to disobey. I want to make that clear. And it has to be backed up clearly. Like, I think we should kill them. Uh, husband... That is not good. So that's the level that I'm talking about. But let me just say this. One of the things that we make very clear, my wife and I, when we do premarital counseling, is that 
if there's ever physical abuse, any kind of physical abuse, we always recommend to, we tell them to separate it. Because you're putting that person's life in danger. We tell them to separate and then from there get counseling and then seek reconciliation. And we're hoping that the marriage will be stronger even after that experience. Because we do not want a wife to be in a situation where some people have counseled in the past. You need to submit to your husband while the husband is pummeling and beating up on the wife. That That is wrong. And my wife and I, we've also began to notice with some of the couples that we've uh, married and even just some that we know and we hear about. It's not just physical abuse. But we know that there's verbal abuse, psychological abuse. And in the same way, we will say you need to separate for a period of time to deal with those issues, see a counselor, be serious about developing this marriage. Because those kind of, any kind of abuse like that cannot be tolerated in the church. But do you understand this is the problem with the church? We have allowed these things to continue to go on. And who are the victims in many of these situations? It's the women. You'll be amazed at the surveys that are taken of how many women have been physically, verbally, mentally abused by their husbands who are elders or deacons and leaders in the church. That's why Paul uh, Paul makes it very clear, not, not, not only Peter, but Paul makes it clear that if you're going to pick an elder, that you've got to make sure that all these traits are there. Because if you cannot lead your household, how in the world are you going to lead a church? Or sometimes in our context, a life group. So I just wanted to make sure that we're clear on that. So those are the two things. And the last thing is this. More women were becoming Christians than men during this time. Now, this is important. Christianity was spreading really quickly during this time. But the one problem, if you want to look at it as a problem, is this. That it was spreading only quickly and rapidly amongst the women. And the reason behind this, so that you can understand, is not because women are more gullible. Jesus died. He did? Oh, wow. It's not because of that. But the reason why you need to understand this is important is that during this Greco-Roman society, that the wives were supposed to be complete, absolutely submitted to their husband. And one of the areas that they're supposed to be submitted to is they're supposed to follow the religion of the husband. Whatever religion that was. Or whatever god or goddess that they were following. And so what happened was that as they became believers in Jesus Christ, they were struggling because they had to follow the husband's religion. But they realized that Christianity was a true religion. So that's where a lot of the conflicts began to happen. And another thing you need to understand is that the reason why more women became Christians rather than men is because during this time, men had more to lose. Because if they're not part of this society or part of the religion that is the general religion, what would happen is that they would not be able to get certain things to move ahead in society. So that's why many men would not 
count the cost to give their lives to follow Jesus Christ. If I can give some similar, maybe possible understanding of this, it will be like being part of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, as many of you know. That for If you do not join the party, then there are certain things you're not going to be able to experience. Same with a lot of other places around the world. If you're not part of the system, then you're not going to be able to get certain things. I experienced this when I was in Indonesia. I realized very quickly that on your ID card, on many of these people, the Indonesians, you have to put a religion down. And I didn't know this, but they were saying, yeah, if you have a, if you're a Muslim just by birth, you're a Muslim or you have Muslim on your thing, then you have all these benefits that Christians or other people do not have. It's the same way. So the question is, do you convert and become a Christian and lose all these benefits and count the costs in that way? Or do you just say, you know what? It's a nice thing. My wife, she's nicer to me. So it's okay. Let her just worship. That was going on. So with all these three th- things in mind, let me move along a little bit faster. It's a fresh perspective in how to view this passage and what Apostle Peter was trying to say. The reason why Peter told the believers, especially the wives who became a Christian, but their husbands were still pre-Christians, for them to submit, there was a greater purpose. So let me expound to us here, expound for us, what is that greater purpose? In verses 1 through 4, we see Peter stressing the importance of being a witness and winning people over for Christ. The focus is how your conduct, how you behave, how you live out your life can actually win people over. Especially when you're in a situation that's not favorable, the way you respond with love, grace, and truth forgiveness, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit, what he's saying is that you could actually win people over. Some of you are like, really? And I'm telling you right now, yes, really. Think about the worst person you can think of right now, your coworker, your boss. You could win them over. And I'm not saying go through the unjust treatment But if you could just change how you view things, this can actually be an opportunity for you to win your boss, your coworker, even some of your pre-Christian friends and your pre-Christian parents over. We have to remember that Peter is giving this command for wives to submit to their husband. He is not saying that women are inferior, but rather it's about the roles. That's why in Titus chapter 2, verse 3 to 5 in the New Living Translation, it says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. What Titus is reminding us, even Peter, as he was, or excuse me, Paul was telling Titus, is that when we are able to understand that our ultimate worship is to God and how we live our lives as we play our specific roles that God has given us, then we can actually make an impact on the people around us. And that's why for the spouse, for you to show Christ's love, it will melt any hardened heart. That you're facing. 
that you have every single right to get upset, but you instead decide to love. You have every single right to slander that person, but you realize slandering is not the heart of God. Once again, I want to make sure we are all clear. I am not saying that if some of you are in a very illegal or physically or your life is in harm, you continue to be in that. I don't think that's the case. But what he's saying is that part of endurance and perseverance is to be able to win that person over as you love them and help them to see the love of Jesus Christ. He mentions that the heart is what is most important. That's why he mentions about don't get so caught up with external beauty. And some of the women were just focusing on external things. Can I also, there's so many disclaimers because you have to. Because you read something like this like, oh my God. Peter is not saying that you cannot dress up. Peter is not saying that you you cannot have nice things. Peter is not saying that every time you go out, you should just wear shorts or like these sweatpants and put your hair in a, in a, in a scrunchie, a scrunchie and just. You can get your hair done. You can even dye it if you want. You can get your nails done. You can do all those things. You, you, you can get your eyelashes, whatever you want to do. That's okay. So I just want to make sure we're clear. He's not saying these are all the things you shouldn't do. No Gucci bag. None of that stuff. That's not what he's saying. What he's simply saying is what matters the most is your heart. So if you are chasing after those things, but you're not working on your character, then that's a problem. But as you're working on your character, if these are things that God blesses you with, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why in the New Living Translation of verse 4, it says, You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And gentle, quiet spirit doesn't mean like, Oh, hi. (laughs) Some of you guys like that kind of stuff. I don't. (laughs) And if you know my wife, she'll be like, You better not, (laughs) you know? Someone said that our church, we attract very strong women. I don't know why or how, but we have some strong women in our church. Praise the Lord for you strong women. Strong, it's good to have strong women. Who love Jesus and all that. But some of you like that because I'm the man. They're going to listen to what I'm saying. Any woman who's a little bit sassy and they're like, eh, and you're like, oh, oh, I don't know what to do. So I need a woman who's like, Dainty and just like, ah. Uh. Or that's how some of us were taught. So when our wives speak up what, what they feel in their opinion, we get all offended because we're so insecure. Can I just tell you this? Whatever issue you have with your spouse or even with the opposite gender, a lot of it is what? Our own issues. Are you with me? Maybe no one's talked back to you because you were so illogical, but then you had so much power or whatever. So they're like, okay, okay. But a strong woman comes in and goes, that's, that's illogical. Like, what? So gentle and quiet spirit doesn't mean like, hello. This gentle and quiet spirit means instead of you trying to do things on your own, but you trust in God that he will fight for you. That's a gentle and quiet spirit. It's not someone who's shy. In fact, as someone who's strong, are you with me? To not get revenge, to not, mm, 
You know what I'm talking about? Girls, your gift is talking. And so not to slander, not to God, to do all this kind of stuff, that takes strength. So quiet and gentle spirit means don't lash out in your flesh in light of all the stuff that's going on. And I've learned that Christina does that a lot with that quiet and gentle spirit. Because she goes, okay. And I'm like, wow. That's so attractive. You're, 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 I could tell. She's trying to be gentle and quiet. If she just unleashes, boy. Oh, Lord Jesus. Come on. Come back right now, Jesus. Right now. Second coming of Jesus. That shows strength. That's a strong woman. Who doesn't have to try to do things because they're going to trust in God and believing that God's going to change this guy's heart. Even if he's a pastor. Change his heart, Lord. That's why the unfading beauty of this gentle, quiet spirit is something that will win people over. First Timothy chapter two, verse nine through 11. It says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Once again, he is not saying what? Well, some of you are like, well, you said a lot of things. <laughs> He is not saying you cannot have these things. So some of you are like, oh, good. I can wear my pearl necklace. Okay. But with what? Good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. It is not someone who's quiet. You cannot say anything. But what he's saying is you're not allowing your flesh to try to get your way and do all these things because you're angry or the husband is not stepping up and doing all the stuff, but it's learning how to pray for him, learning how to help him and support him to be all that God has called them to be so that they can help you to be all that God has called you to be. Let's quickly go to verse 5 and 6. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says this, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Some of you ladies should be like, say what? Like, she called him Lord? There's only one Lord that I know. You know, why is she calling him Lord? Now, I think it's interesting that out of all the holy women in the Old Testament or just in the Bible that s- obeyed and submitted themselves he particularly chooses Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, if you remember in the book of Genesis, we see that Sarah was what? A beautiful woman. And how do I know that? How do we know that? Because if you read your Bible, there are several kings who wanted to marry her. So she must have been attractive. Not that guys only marry because you're attractive, okay? I don't know why I'm giving so many disclaimers in this talk. Anyway, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, she caught these king's eyes. And so we could pretty much assume that she was probably a very beautiful woman, probably outside and inside, very beautiful woman. And then we see here, what is it about her? And you will notice that she was devoted to not only God, but to her husband. Why is she an example for women to follow? Well, first of all, she recognized Abraham as the leader. Ladies, before you get really upset that she called him Lord, let me just quickly give you some context. 
in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12, Abraham or Sarah calls Abraham Lord because it's a submission or a willingness to be able to say, I will follow you because it is a context of love and mutual respect. It was a way that the Jewish people will also address their husbands respectfully. See, if he didn't know that, you'd be like, look at the Bible. It's promoting, like, telling women to call their husbands Lord. But in the biblical times, they they call them Lord. See, some of you guys don't have any problems with this, but, like, excuse me. Some of you have problems with this, but you have no problems with the Game of Thrones. Yes, my Lord. Yes, my Lord. So I heard. That's the context. That's how they would speak to one another in respect. Once again, this does not mean Sarah never had influence or had to obey everything that Abraham said. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, we're not going to time for it. Genesis chapter 21 through 12, or verse 12, you could just jot it down. Genesis 16, 2. And Genesis 21, 12, we see that Abraham obeyed or listened to Sarah. It's not like Sarah had no influence. In fact, she had a lot of influence. I will say this. Those of you who have been married for some time, you will probably agree with me. Those of you who are not married, just think about it. When we first got married, my wife and I, I was the Lord. What, once again, my Korean background, everything is hard, Arctical, all this stuff, you know, and the way I saw my mom relating to my dad, all this stuff, I'm just like, I'm the king. That lasted maybe about a couple of weeks. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a struggle in those early years for my wife and I. We fought a lot. That's when I wish she would just be like, okay, yes. But she goes, she goes, uh-uh. She, I mean, she spoke her mind. But we clashed so much partly because I think I just couldn't see what she was seeing and she couldn't see what I was saying because we're so different. And so what happened was that in this whole time, I wanted her to listen to me. I wanted her to do because I feel like I'm so right. And she's so wrong. But now, as I give advice to women, ladies, those of you who are married, try it and see how it works. Those of you who are not married, file it away somewhere in your mind and pull it out later. And I simply say this, if we really believe in this biblical manhood and womanhood, that there will be times where somebody has to make the final decision because you might not see eye to eye. And I always tell the women, when it comes to that point, let your husband make this decision. And women get really upset when they hear that from me. But I said, listen, before you throw that tomato, before you get angry, just listen. Because what I share with these women is this. You will win no matter what at the end. Then their demeanor changes and they go, what do you mean? Then I respond back and I said, what I mean is this. And I said, if it is the right choice that your husband made, praise God, that's a win. Hopefully you will grow also in humility and understanding that maybe he saw something that you didn't. 
And I said, if he's wrong, and there's enough times where he's wrong, he will no longer make a decision without you. And I'm speaking from personal experience. Because I'll be like, yeah, we're going to do this. She's like, what? God, mm, mm mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we do it. I'm like. So next time I have to make it to say, Christina, what do you, what do you, what do you think? What do you think? So it's a win-win. So she submitted herself to Abraham, but she also had influence. I, you, you just don't understand the level you ladies have over men. And that's why even though like roles, maybe the, Husband's supposed to be the head of the household, the father is, but I'm telling you right now, you can shape and you can influence the husband in a loving and a gentle way so that he will want to change. The second thing that we'll notice is she put her hope in God. That's what we read. What Peter is saying is that when wives are frightened because of disobeying their husbands, that they're not putting their full trust in God. So Peter used Sarah as an illustration because she put her full trust in God. What she's saying is you got to do it the same way. And third, she is our spiritual heritage because Abraham and Sarah, they're the father and mother of our faith. And so therefore, as saw their lives and how they live in the same way, we can live our lives and follow after them. And then let me close with verse seven. And this is the part that women you should be excited about. Look what it says. Likewise, husbands, live your live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter closes out this whole submission to authority with the husbands now and addressing them. So what he's saying is, Husbands, you're not off the hook. Us men, we're not off the hook. He clearly states in verse 7 the same word, likewise. We see that word prior to the wives. Now he's saying it to the husbands, likewise. So he's trying to connect that. It's about submitting ourselves to God and submitting ourselves to one another. But it's interesting that there are two specific things that Peter is telling the husband to give to their wives, which is an expression of love. This is important. Once again, remember what I said, when the wives don't feel love, that they have no respect for that husband, and it's a vicious cycle. So what he's telling the husbands is this, to give your wives two things, and it's not the only thing, it's not exhaustive, but he says, give your wives two things, because it is a full expression of love. The first thing he says is understanding. The word understanding is translated as considerate or according to knowledge. So when you know something now, that she's struggling with something, she's going through things, and you're being patient and you're being understanding, then what that does is that you help express how much you care for her and love her. I don't know how many times I've fallen short in this because of my own self-centeredness or just because of what I wanted. But it's, there are times when I just fail to see things that what she sees or what she's wanting to see. So I make it all about me. And that's where she gets hurt. And then when she's not respecting or responding a certain way that I want her to respond, then it's that vicious cycle all over again. So it's really being able to have the eyes and the years of Jesus 
and the mouth speak the words that we need to speak. So that's what he's talking about. Considerate of your wives, their spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. And he elaborates on this as the responsibility to protect and take care of just as Christ loved the church that we ought to love our wives in this way. So be understanding, be considerate, he says. And the second thing is this, respect. Husbands are supposed to respect their wives as the weaker vessel. But now, once again, I need to explain what that means. He is not saying women are not equal. Peter is not saying that. He's simply saying, physically speaking, and I cannot say this for 100% either because there are some of you women who have muscles that pop out more than some of these guys. All I'm simply saying is that by and large, because physically, it's a proven fact, science, we have more testosterone. And you need that to build muscles and other things. And so, not to say women, you don't have testosterone, you do. But we have a little bit more of it because we're Extra, anyway, okay, I better stop here. Women, you're strong. But physically speaking, we're made in such a way where different parts of our bodies grow in different ways. Come on, ladies, admit that. That's why you like guys with broad shoulders. Why do you like that? You know that V-shape? Why do you like that? I don't know. You, you ask. So when he says the weaker, he's not talking about emotional or intellectual inferiority. None of that. He's just saying physically, you as a man, because you're made in such a way, you're stronger. And ladies, can I just, can I just tell you something? This is all marriage help. You know that jar that's really hard to open? You tried it with your hands, you tried it with rubber, whatever, and it's just not opening. Like, if you're married, just go to your husband and go, hey, hubby. Hey, babe. Can you open this for me? Do you know what that will do to a guy? <laughs> Bring that over here. Now, we will have a problem if you can't open it. <laughs> It's built within us that we want to provide, we want to take care of, we want to help. And I know you could probably do your own thing. You could hold your own door. I know you can do that. Praise the Lord. I, I know you could carry, I, I know you could carry your own bags. Praise the Lord. But can I just tell you a little, us guys, we need that once in a while. Even though it's a little bag, you, you could do it with one finger. But just letting them carry it, it just makes them feel like I'm being useful. Just let them hold the door. Please work with me. I'm trying to bring back sh chivalry and just kind of be more mindful of sisters. But I've seen so many women who are so like feminists that they'll be like, don't hold that door for me. I can hold my own door. And the guy's like, okay, whatever. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and please, this is something that I want to come from the other angle too. 
men. If a woman says, can I help you carry some of that? And here you're like, no, I got, I got it. I got it. <laughs> and you're dying. All I can say to you is that's your pride. Because you're taking this thing that we're trying to teach to the other extreme. So when I'm carrying things, so a sister goes, can I help you? Yeah, sure, here. But some have this male pride, like, I got it. I got it. So please, we need to, in mutual love and respect, help each other. Can I get a good amen to that? To love from our hearts, we must do our part. And that is learning how to respect, how to submit to one another, how to be considerate towards one another. If you do your part in any relationship, I'm telling you right now, love will continue to foster and will continue to grow. Those of you who are married, maybe struggling in your marriage, maybe there are different things, I pray that you'll take some time off and just begin to kind of reflect and say what is causing it. Because one thing I didn't mention, if you look at the last phrase, it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What he's saying is that a lot of times when we are in this conflict, then it's hard to pray. And it's almost like a blockage. So when you learn to love, forgive, things can happen as you submit yourself to God and to one another. So do our part. Each one of you have a part to play. And that's how you're going to love from your heart. Some of you who are not married, can I just encourage you? Start working on these things now. So when you do get married or you find somebody, you're going to be way ahead of a lot of other people and you're going to have great and happy marriages. I pray that that would be true. So what do we need to do? First of all, pray for your, the self. Pray for yourself. Just pray for the things that you know you need to work on. Maybe it's some of the bad experiences you had with guys. Maybe it's some bad experience you had with women. Whatever it may be. Some of you might have to repent because you realize, wow, my view of women has been shaped more by the world than what the Bible said. I shared this on Friday. Like when guys, we struggle with lust. Like we look at women as objects. So you can't even look at them in the eye as you're trying to talk to them. Like something's wrong with that. That's why you, we got to take ownership, brothers, as men, and say, God, Lord, change my heart. And don't fuel you the things that causes you to continue down the cycle. Because when you get older and maybe have more money, more power, it's easy to then take advantage of people. And that's what we got to be careful of. Also, pray for your spouse or, in parentheses, your future spouse. Pray for your spouse. And that's something that I'm learning more and more, there are a lot of things I cannot change about Christina. There are a lot of things she can't change about me, but God can. And so when I commit myself to praying for her, especially when there's different rough patches along the way, then I see God working. And so pray, because we just don't believe that God's going to answer prayers. That's why we don't pray, but pray and let him do that. And lastly, pray for your submission to God. Because when you are submitted to God, you can submit to any authority in love. It's a reflection of you not submitting yourself ultimately to God because you're God. You're running your own life. So I pray that you will pray for submission to God. God, whatever you say, I'm open and I'm available. I want to show, uh, show you this quick video that was made. And one of the big issues in China is the divorce rate. As you guys know, 
I don't know if some of you guys know, but the divorce rate in China is escalating by the day and weeks and months and the year. And it's, it's alarming, so much so that there were different ministries who said we need to reach out to a lot of these people who are getting divorced. And praise God, some of these ministries are actually bringing healing and people are getting remarried with one another again. And God is doing some great things. And that became a witness to share about Jesus Christ. Why, as a Christ follower, it can really be an establishment of a healthy marriage. And they started this campaign called Hashtag I Believe in Love Again. Because a lot of times what brought us together initially, slowly over a time period of time, whether it's our hearts or other situations or expectations, all these things kind of drift people away. And so this is kind of like a small vignette that they made to actually speak to the whole social media generation to open up discussions. And I thought it was really powerful because as we talk about husband and wives, the thing is this, there are some marriages that might be struggling here. There are some of you who grew up with family members or just your parents who have bad marriages. And sometimes you learn bad behavior. You're going to perpetuate that in your future marriage. But I want to just say that there's hope. Because it's not what you do, but it's what Christ is doing in you right now. And if you allow Christ to be the Lord of your life, and you submit yourself to Him, that is when you're going to see all your relationship. Those of you who are single right now, work on your relationship with the opposite gender. Treat them with love, respect, serve them. Find ways to not be lashing out, but be of gentle spirit. And that quiet spirit that you could, you could slam that guy down and make him look foolish. But with courage, with the strength that comes from within, that you're able to support and to love in many ways. And same with you, all of us brothers, that we should treat our sisters and the women in our church better than anyone else in this whole wide world. Because we love them in Christ. We should treat them like our sisters, our mothers. And if we could do that, I'm telling you right now, we're going to have a huge witness that's going to make an impact and change even the culture here in Asia, in Hong Kong. I pray that that would be the case for us. Let's watch this together. Come on, let's stand together, shall we? She just demonstrated for us what a gentle and quiet spirit looks like. Because usually what normal women would do in that situation. Why? Why? And going crazy. But she goes, okay. For the next month, just hug me. Just once when we meet. And you see her at the end, she kind of turned around. And she just walked away like, you know it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Man, I'm just praying that all of you will have great marriages, your relationship with your families, people around you will be awesome. But it doesn't come overnight. It takes hard work. It really does. Next to following Jesus and trying to grow in holiness, 
to have a good marriage, it takes a lot of work. And there's some of us who might be discouraged, some of us who are struggling. And I know that just our church is predominantly, we have a lot more college students and single adults. But in the future, you're going you're gonna to go into that life stage. And I can't wait to see some of you go into that life stage. And all I can say right now is like we need to strengthen the families, not only in our church, but just the people around us so that we can then reach out to our city here in Hong Kong. And it starts with us, your own personal life. I know some of you so desperately want to get married. You wish you had a relationship. But the bottom line is this, and I, I know some of us don't like to hear it, because sometimes it is a practical thing. You just don't have choices, right? Some of you are like, go to this church and try to love Jesus more or go to that other church with a lot more boys and men, options. It's a tough choice. So I'm trying to do my best. Pastor Bo is doing his best to try to raise up more men. Not spoiled little boys, but more men. But I will say this, one thing I've learned over the, just my journey of 30 some plus years, almost now heading towards 40 years of walking with Christ. One thing I've learned is that God's timing is impeccable, is perfect. That's the first thing I'm realizing more and more. Secondly, He never allows me to do something or get something until He works on me. I mean, do you know why so many childhood, uh, like these superstars, why so many of them go into drugs and different issues when they get older? Just look at JB and all these other people, Justin Bieber, who, uh, who struggled. But he's a believer, so praise God. No pun intended. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. But he was a superstar at a young age. And he did not have the capacity to deal with all that fame. And so God had to break him and go through different things in his life so that he could actually now be a witness and sing reckless love to about his, well, how many millions followers. What I'm trying to say is this. There are things that we desire, we want, but we will not be able to handle the weight of that responsibility. So what does he do? Because he knows it's important. He knows he wants to do this in your life. So he's working on you. He's breaking you. If you cannot be satisfied with him now, then you're going to be so dependent on that other person that your life cannot exist without them. Something's wrong with that. If you put all your hope and all your dreams in that one person and not in Jesus Christ, then I think God's going to probably work on you. And in His wisdom, He says, you're not ready. I'm working on you so that you can love me and love me alone. Even if that means you're going to be single for the rest of your life. Oh my God. But usually what I found out when people have that kind of peace, I'm okay with it. I'm fully satisfied in you. Like I realize they're the freest person and that's when God just works in His ways that we never imagined. So my encouragement to all you singles, work on yourself, the self, 
the character, grow, be a part of life group, have a mentor or a discipler who can help you address those issues because you don't only see it yourself. You're blinded. We all have blind spots. So make sure you have somebody who's walked a little bit further than you who could walk with you, share these things. Make sure that he loves you or she loves you enough that they could be honest, brutally honest. That's how I measure how much a person cares is how honest they are. Because there will be a lot of people who say a lot of good things about you. But don't believe it. That's all hype. Because you look at yourself in the mirror and you know who you really are. I wanted to close out this morning and let's pray for all the marriages in our church. Can we do that? Amen. We don't have a really big married couples group, but I'm envisioning in the years to come, we're going to lay a, just, we're laying out foundation so that we can have greater things to come. Praise God, we have some young couples who are slowly moving up into covenant and many more. But don't jump from college right to covenant. You know, focus, working a little bit is good. So probably from focus slowly to covenant ministry. So I'm excited for all that God's going to do. But I just feel like we need to pray for marriage because Satan will attack the marriages. Because when he does, then he attacks the home. The kids get affected. And then when you, once you destroy the family, then the society goes. Study all the societies. As part of a sociologist, you study societies, you realize every society where they dismantle the family, that society has gone completely AWOL. And that's why I want to encourage you to begin to pray. Let's pray for all the families, all the marriages in our church. And also, let's just pray for the rest of us who are single. Let's just pray, God, like, I'm going to keep on growing. I'm going to keep on loving you. I know it's hard sometimes when I feel like, when, when is my turn? Let's really believe it. That's why whenever you meet couples and they've really trusted in God in the whole process, those are the most beautiful stories. I love doing those weddings. When you realize it's a God thing. They weren't trying to do all this stuff, trying to manipulate, but it was a God thing. And that's when you can really say, God, you're in the midst of this relationship. So let's pray that God will help us in that way. Can we just do that? So let's just lift our voices for a couple minutes. Pray for the marriages, the families in our church. And then pray for the singles and say, God, help us to keep on growing, loving and worshiping. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.